Isaiah chapter number 9. And our new series, Below the Baseline, I was trying to figure out how to explain that series to you. I guess, like, uh, living above the baseline is what you're doing right now. It's what everybody else sees. But living below the baseline is uh, when you're alone or when you're, when you're uh, by yourself or the it's situations that the Lord puts you in um, and how you respond and how you act. I just give you this example, and it's it's an example of myself. It's just a little thing of, of uh, that happened to me several weeks ago. But I went to Walmart and uh, had to purchase some things, and we needed some batteries. So I went to the batteries first. You know, they're only about this big, and I didn't have a card or anything, so I put the batteries in my pocket, and then I picked up my other three or four things, and uh, I checked out the self checkout and got back to the church here, actually, and realized that I had just shoplifted those batteries. <laughs> so, you know, what's the thing to do? You, you just go back and you pay for them. Amen? And I'll try to say this to pat myself on the back, but I couldn't think of any other example this morning. So that's kind of living below the baseline. And so I went back and the same gal was at the self-checkout and I said, yeah, I just walked out with these about a half an hour ago and she kind of chuckled. And she said, well, it's rare that anybody would actually come back and pay for them. And uh, that's a sad commentary on our culture, though, right? Uh, that, that people wouldn't go back and pay for them. But living below the baseline, or I thought like, a, like an iceberg, right? An iceberg. You see the top of the iceberg, but I think if I remember correctly, the biggest part of the iceberg is below the water, right? And uh, so really the biggest part of your Christian life is what people don't see. It's those personal times. And uh, so that's what the next series is going to be dealing with. And uh, it's not going to be necessarily on one particular portion of the Bible. We're going to, it's a topical series, so there'll be different portions and examples in the Bible that we look at that we can apply to our lives. But today, I just want to finish with Isaiah chapter 9 here. We kind of got out of the, the Christmas season. We talked a lot about the birth of Christ. And I wanted to look at this prophecy not even so much dealing with the birth of our Lord and Savior, but, but really just dealing with his character. So I know on the handout it says Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, but let's start in verse number 1, and then we'll read down through verse 7, and then we'll have a word of prayer kind of get into this here. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask and pray your blessing now upon our Bible study this morning. I pray that you'd guide and direct as uh, we look at this particular scripture and um, uh, what the Word of God says. Speak to our hearts in a very real way, in a very personal way. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray these things. Amen. So if you notice uh, on your handout, does your life matter to God? And of course, the answer to that is going to be, yes, your life matters to God. And we want to see why and how it matters to God and uh, use this portion of Scripture uh, to do it. But if the opening paragraph, have you ever thought what matters really matters to God? What, it, what is it that, God, that gives God the most pleasure? And where does he focus his attention? And where does God place his priorities? Well, we don't have to guess at that because all throughout the scripture, it points to what brings God the most pleasure. And uh, it's you, it's, it's believers that brings God the most pleasure. Look, for instance, on your handout, Luke chapter 2, that I have written down here for you, uh, just gives us some indication of that. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So you notice there I have highlighted some of the words in that. The you, the you, the you, the point to you. And that you are the object of God's affection. You are the object of why Jesus came into this world. Uh, to save sinners. And in the book of Isaiah, in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. To us, to us. And uh, directed toward you and I as believers. On our handout, before we get into our lesson, just a couple of verses. 1 John 2.1 We have an advocate with the Father. What is an advocate, by the way? The Bible says, we have an advocate with the Father. What is that? What does that mean, we have an advocate? Well, a lawyer would be the example. If you needed to someone to represent you, it'd be like a lawyer. You know, anything else with an advocate. We have an advocate. Yes. Yes, someone who's representative of you. And then in Romans 5.8, but God... God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here, 1 John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And so, somebody said this, and I put it on your handout. I forget, I wrote this down years ago. So the written word declares it. The living word, Jesus, he displayed it. He displayed it when he came and lived his life here for us. 
Now, as we get into this, you might think we're living in dark times. And in many respects, we are living in dark times. And even before I get into that, let me ask you, because these verses here in, um, in chapter 9 and, and verse 6 and 7, for instance, this prophecy that's given, has this prophecy been fulfilled? Ah, read it. Go ahead and look at it again and think about it for a minute. Has the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 been fulfilled? Well, one person says no. Huh? Partially. Yeah, that goes with partially. <laughs> but that's okay. Some of it has. So the answer, anybody else? So the answer is, yeah, partially. And so, uh, Major, I'll give you an opportunity if you want to tell us. You don't have to, but you said partially. Why do you say it was partially fulfilled? Obviously, Jesus doesn't rule and reign, and you're partially correct that verse 6 has been fulfilled, but it hasn't been completely fulfilled. In fact, on your handout, the quote out of the Gospel of Luke, has that been completely fulfilled? So let me give you a hint. Who, would, who was Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, who primarily was it written to? To the Jews. So have the, have the Jews, by and large, have they accepted Christ as the Messiah? No. But one day they will. We know that from Bible prophecy. Um, so I guess... We're living somewhere, and, and, it, and it's true in the sense that Jesus was born. And we're going to look at these. We're going to look at these names, and we're going to see, uh, you know, how they apply to us. So it's true. Just as Major said, it, it has partially been fulfilled, but it hasn't been completely fulfilled. So, from a timeline, we're living somewhere in between verses six and verse seven, right? Understand what I mean by that? We're in the middle. So there's a day that Jesus will return, the increase of his government, and the peace that there be no end, the throne of it. That's coming. That's in the future, but that hasn't been fulfilled yet. But you want to talk about a time of darkness. Go back in your Bibles, if you would. And if we look at chapter 8 and verse 19, this is the condition that Isaiah is dealing with here. The Bible says, And when they shall say, unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, this is a very dark time. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry. It shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. 
Then the next verse starts with, nevertheless. And so then we, we read, I'm not going to read all those verses again because we read them. Despite the fact that it was a very dark and very ungodly time, there's the nevertheless. There's always hope with the Lord. And so we see that. And we see this prophecy that has been laid out here. Um, and then, so now I want to just take the balance of our time and just talk about verse 6 and how it applies to us in a very practical way. Because truly, the description here and the ultimate fulfillment of all of this is found in Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, I believe, it'll be found when uh, Pastor Ethan, I think, was teaching or preaching on this the other day, when the, there's a day coming where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, that day hasn't come yet, but that day is, is coming soon. Uh, well, we, we think it's coming soon. It sure looks like it's coming soon with the conditions of everything going on in our world. But until that day, we can, we can think about the description here in verse 6 uh, of our Lord and Savior. And so these several names that are given to him here. First is the name Wonderful. Now, I think I can speak for all of us when I say this. There's nothing more wonderful than knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen? I mean, that's a wonderful, wonderful uh, reality. Our sins are forgiven, and uh, it's, been, it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And no matter how heavy the load, now, how, now, no matter how heavy the burden, uh, that burden has been lifted. In Isaiah 25, 1, it says, O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee. I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Wonderful things. Let me just stop here, because you know the Bible tells us there are times that we just need to meditate on God's Word. And so this name, okay, aside from the fact that the most wonderful thing of all is that Jesus died and paid for our sin. Okay? But when you think of the wonderfulness of Jesus, what else do you think about? What else is so wonderful about knowing Jesus? You tell me. Yes. Yeah, and I think that kind of lends itself to the next, that he's our counselor. So when you're giving me, when you think, and it's true what you've just said, so when you, but there are other things, things that are wonderful, and just kind of look at other things that, then, that, that are not listed here with these other words. What are some other wonderful things about knowing Jesus? Yes. I couldn't hear your first part. Going to heaven. Going to heaven. Yeah. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Heaven. We're going to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. Amen. Heaven. What else is wonderful? Yes. He, uh, he, loves, he loves us. He loves us. How does he love us? 
Unconditionally, he loves us. Look how unconditionally he cared for Israel. Nevertheless, here these people were dealing with wizards and familiar spirits, and still he reached out for them. Read some of the minor prophets. And they, they, there's a whole litany of things that they list, and you'll find in those minor prophets numerous times where there's, it may not use the exact word nevertheless, but the, the implication is there nevertheless. What else? Yes? He's a faithful friend. That would kind of lend itself to counselor. But yes, he's a faith. He's a friend. The Bible says that sticketh closer than what? A brother. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So heaven, that's a wonderful thing. What else? Yes, Bill. He being the creator is a creator of all beauty and wonder. And he's the most beautiful of all. He's the beauty of holiness, which we won't even see in his fullness until we see him. Yeah, that's an excellent one. We, I think that's when the idea of holiness will become a reality to us. I mean, we have a glimpse of it. But I don't think we'll really truly understand, well, many of the characteristics we will, of God, we, you know, his love, his holiness, we won't understand until we are in his presence. But that's excellent. What else? His creation. His creation is wonderful. Yep. And how he created he spoke the worlds into existence. That's wonderful. I, I've always, I've thought about this. When I get to heaven, I don't know, if, I, don't know I would like to, I would, I would like to, I guess we'll have full knowledge just to see how it all, how the worlds were created, how God spoke them in six days into existence. Don't you think that would be cool? I mean, to just to see it all come, to just see how it all happened? I do. I think that'd be really neat. What else? Or, or, the, or we talked about the, the wonder of the creation. Uh, the heavens, the Bible says, declare the glory of God. There's just the expanse of heaven. It's incredible. What else? Wonderful. Here's something that, that I was watching a, a clip of a preacher yesterday. The local church is a wonderful thing. And I'll tell you how and why. And this is the point that he made. And I, and I guess I had thought about this, but the way that I won't, I'm, I'm not going to articulate it as well as this preacher did. But he, he talked about the local church and uh, how the local church, it brings people together from all different backgrounds, right? All different economic levels, all different educational levels, all different ethnicities come to the local church. And he kind of, maybe I didn't think it through, but he said, what other, um, he didn't use the word organization, but what other, what would be the right word? What other fellowship in the world does that? And he, he said, social media surely doesn't do that because you don't have the personal aspect of it. But what, and, and people from all different walks come together, from, sometimes from all over the planet they come together in a local church. And I think we take that for granted. But the local church is uh, built by Jesus. He's the founder, the cornerstone. It's a wonderful thing.
There's a, there's, I saw this on the news before uh, the holidays. There's a senator, I think, from Connecticut, and he's concerned about people and their loneliness. And I was really surprised that he said that churches need to get, we, we need to depend on, more on churches to help people with their loneliness. I thought, wow, you, you hardly hear anything like that from a government official that actually wants churches to help with that. But that's what a local church does. Things brings people together, and it's a wonderful thing. So we talked about, let me see if I can remember some of these. We talked about heaven. We talked about the holiness of God. We talked about creation. We talked about the local church. We talked about a couple of other things that, that just slipped my mind. But it's a wonderful thing about knowing the Lord. Anything else before we move on? So then the next, the next um, adjective to describe the Lord is counselor. He's our counselor. So it gets, it gets better than all of these things that we've just said. He, somebody said earlier that we can, we can go to the Lord and talk with the Lord. And uh, he is our counselor. Psalm 33:11 The counsel of the Lord standeth forever the thoughts of his heart to all generations So who is a wiser counselor than the Lord there is no wiser counselor than the Lord What is that verse in James I don't really have it memorized but every um, he that lacketh wisdom how does that verse go Yeah, he that lacketh wisdom, let him ask God who giveth to all men. How? Liberally. It's the only time that the word liberal is good. Liberally. Liberally. You give it to all men liberally. So that's a good thing. All right. So you can use the word liberal and, and not feel bad. <laughs> but that's what God does. So what if... So when we go to the Lord, we, we go to him as our counselor. People will, people will pay big money to go to counselors. And sometimes they pay big money to get bad advice. But they, you can go to the Lord and get counsel from the Lord. Counsel from the Lord. Let me give you some counsel. Turn off your... <laughs> and um, what a wonderful thing that, that is that, that the Lord gives us. So part of, you know, I talked about just sitting and meditating on the Lord, and uh, we think of the wonder of, of it all, of who He is, and then we go to Him for counsel. You know, whatever instruction that you need, whatever problems, whatever difficulties um, that you have, go to the Lord for counsel. And um, what are some things, what are some, not, I don't want you to get into any personal things, but what are some things in generalities that you can go to the Lord for counsel? Like, I'll just give you one. So here's a generality, so not a specific. So I, we many times uh, raising our children in, in our home that we went to the Lord for counsel, just, just in a general sense of how to raise our children, what was right, what was wrong. So just... How often, I guess the challenge would be, do you just spend some time asking counsel of the Lord, dealing with your children or your marriage, um, 
you know, in your own mind, you might think of specifics, but you just spend some time, Lord, I need, some, I need advice, I need counsel, how to deal with this particular issue in my family. So that would be one generality of counsel, family. What else? Interpersonal relationships, counsel about dealing with people, yeah, both good and bad, counsel. Yeah, what else? Finances, counsel. You know, it, amaz it kind of amazes me because in my years I've run into people that have financial problems, but do, you go, do they go and do they ever seek counsel? You know, the Bible has specifics laid out with regards to our finances. In fact, uh, one of the things that Isaiah said, he said in, in chapter 8, verse 20, listen, to the law and to the testimonies, go to the Word of God. Uh, several weeks ago, Ethan was away. I preached that message. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. The answers are there. The counsel. The counsel that we have. So what else? Those are all good things. What else do we seek counsel for? Like, go ahead. Moving, yes. New location, new job. Yeah. Very good. What other counsel? All right, those are all very good things. Um, you know, one of my favorite psalms, obviously, is Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man that um, walketh not in the uncounsel of the who? The ungodly. So we need to be careful about who we seek counsel from. And uh, what's, uh, what is allowing, what is, or what are we allowing to influence us? Then the next one is the mighty God. And the mighty God in, in chapter 6 speaks of his deity. And, uh, you know, back there in chapter 7, one of the great prophecies of the Bible, in verse 14 of Isaiah, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. If you remember, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. So the mighty God um, not only is he wonderful, and not only as counselor he has the wisdom, but he also has the might, the strength to deal with the issues that are taking place in our lives. And that is a great thing. Um, Psalm 24, 8 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. One of the names for God is El Shaddai. What is the name El Shaddai mean? Supply? Supply? No, there are no there are other names for that. I forget what they were, but it doesn't mean supply. You're right on. You're right on the got the first letter right. <laughs> yes. No. No. Savior. El Shaddai means. Now it doesn't mean strength, it means the strongest, strong one. That's the idea behind the mighty God. The omnipotent one, all-powerful. Like for instance, in Ephesians 3.20 it says, Now unto him that is able to do, not abundantly above all we ask and think, but 
exceedingly abundant above all we ask and think. It adds, the Bible, the scriptures add the word exceedingly. And um, according to the power that worketh in us. So it's wonderful to know the Lord and all the wonders of the things that you've mentioned. We're running out of time. His counselor, he's our counselor. We can go to him and discuss anything and everything with him. He's the mighty God. He's the strongest strong one. He's the everlasting father. And Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. And um, we mentioned, some of you mentioned um, uh, creation and the wonder of creation. Well, Jesus was there at the creation. He is, by all things, it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, all things are created by him and for him. So, not only that verse, but there are others. That kind of takes out of the equation that some falsely teach that Jesus was a created being. Well, if all things were created by him and for him, he had to exist before all things were created. The Bible said that he is not only the alpha, the beginning, but he is the what? He's the omega. He is the end. And so the everlastingness of the Lord. And then he is the prince of peace. And one day Jesus will return and bring peace and governance to this world, a world that's in turmoil. And as, as I've, since, the, listen, since, since the days of Adam and Eve, the world has been in turmoil. And the world will continue to be in turmoil until Jesus Christ returns to rule and to reign. Uh, it'll go through uh, periods where it'll seem like there's more turmoil, and other periods where there'll be less turmoil, but there's always turmoil. But when Jesus comes, that'll be the end of that. Because he'll rule with a rod of iron. And he'll bring peace to a very world, a very turbulent world. But until that day, the joy of knowing Jesus is found in the fact that he does bring peace, even in the midst of a world in turmoil, maybe a family in turmoil, maybe a personal life in turmoil. He can bring peace and take that turmoil and deal with it. So while there, might, there may not yet be and is not peace in the world in which we live, in, this, in, in the earth, but there can be peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, our trials, our temptations, and you can go right down the list. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. So we're out of time. So what really matters, what really matters to God, what's important, what, what has his attention, you do. And you are the object of his love and his concern. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is set down on the right hand of the Father. Let's pray. Father, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. 
If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.